Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Today is Friday, December 14th. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but first of all, man, I'm done with finals. I feel incredible. This is the last episode I will ever do in my tiny little dorm room. And uh, man, I'm excited. Busy day tonight. Got to move out of my room. Got to pack all my crap up. All this podcasting equipment is going to be a pain. Um, but first this, uh, December 14th, every year is a tough day for me. Um, today's my little brother Zane's birthday. You know, three years, a little, almost three years ago now. My little brother Zane took his life, and uh, it's real stuff. It sucks. It's horrible. It's uh, a painful thing I will never get over, probably fully, and I'm always going to miss that guy. And so my message to you today, please, if you're struggling, go get help. It's the uh, – my, my brother Zane is something that I'll never get over. It's going to hang in my, my, around probably my life forever. And um, there are two huge moments. There are, there are two huge moments in my life where I faced adversity. And I'm not really proud of either one of them. The first one was my freshman year of college. My college football team brought in a transfer quarterback. They gave him the starting quarterback job. And I didn't stay and fight. I didn't fight for my job. I didn't stay and try to earn the job. Instead, I gave up. And I, I had a bad attitude and I quit. And I'm so embarrassed of that, the way I acted. Literally months later, two months later, uh, my younger brother took his life. And that was hard. I really didn't handle that well. Dropped out of college. I mean, altogether, it almost ruined my life. And, uh, you know, years later now, I'm back in school, and I learned a lot of lessons, but I'm back on my feet. But those experiences, that hardship, those, that adversity made me appreciate people who get knocked down and get back up. People who fight when they go through adversity. Last night, the L.A. Chargers played the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chargers won 29 to 28. And the Chargers quarterback, Phillip Rivers, was incredible. And not necessarily because of his stats. He had some good stats. Um, he also had two interceptions, should have had three, had a, a pass dropped at the end that should have been a third interception. But Phillip Rivers fought hard. Phillip Rivers gave it everything he had. I mean, now he was 26 for 38 passing, that's a 68% completion percentage. 313 yards, two touchdowns. But here are the stats that make Phillip Rivers' performance far more incredible. I don't care about the passing numbers. Here are the stats I want you to listen to. Phillip Rivers was sacked five times on Thursday Night Football. He was hit 12. The Kansas City Chiefs had 12 quarterback hits on Phillip Rivers. And Phillip Rivers wasn't just hit. The dude was harassed all night From the very beginning of the game, guy was on the ground. And what's interesting is the Chiefs' defense didn't run any kind of crazy schemes, wasn't a bunch of exotic blitzes. The Chargers' offensive line simply really struggled. They didn't play well. And going into the game, the Kansas City Chiefs were 11-2. The Chargers were 10-3. Second best record in the AFC only to the team they were playing, Kansas City Chiefs. Phillip Rivers was 37 years old. He is 37 years old. Getting beat into the turf. His running back, Melvin Gordon, was out. Nobody would blame Phillip Rivers. We might, we might talk about it for a little bit, but you know, if the guy gets beat into the ground, they're losing to the Chiefs, hey, they're a really good team. If he didn't fight, 
He could have he could have gotten away with it, is what I'm saying. But Philip Rivers responded the way that somebody who's been through struggle would appreciate. Instead of giving up, instead of laying down and letting the Chargers, the Chiefs walk all over him, Philip Rivers stood up and fought. You know, my little brother, ironically, the one who took his life, used to tell me something when I would train for football back in the day. He would tell me, just keep going. And that is what Philip Rivers did. Down 14 points, less than eight minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. Philip Rivers just kept battling. Gutsy. And the Chargers scored with less than four seconds left. And when that happened, they kept their offense on the field. And it terrified me. Go watch my Instagram story. I was like, no, please, no, please do not go for two. And they did. They lined up. This terrified me because here's the thing. If the Chargers don't get their two-point conversion with four seconds left, they're down one point. If they don't get it, they lose the game. I wanted that comeback for hours. I was sitting there hoping for the Chargers to come back. They did. They get within one point and they go for two. And I said, no, please don't. My heart can't handle this. But the Chargers dialed up a play, no hesitation, and they got the two-point conversion. And Mike Williams was wide open. Made me wonder if the Chargers saw something in the film, some tendency that the Chiefs had, that they knew they could get one of the linebackers and get Mike Williams wide open on that play. I don't know. And look, this was a game with a lot of weird officiating, some calls I didn't quite agree with, 17 penalties between the two teams. But here's my message. It is hard not to appreciate Philip Rivers' performance last night, even before the two-point conversion. The way he hung out, hung in the pocket all night, despite being killed. The word I wrote down in my nuts in my notes was gutsy. Philip Rivers' performance last night against the Kansas City Chiefs was gutsy. Now, are the Chargers a Super Bowl team? I don't know. My gut tells me they're not, uh, which is not fair. My gut is not, you know, that's not a logical reason. That's just how I feel. I'll never forget when the San Diego Chargers, the former San Diego Chargers, went 14-2 and 2006, and they lost in, the fir- in their first playoff game at home to the New England Patriots. And I recognize that my logic here is not fair. It's a different team. The only person actually left from that 2016, there's two of them, Antonio Gates, Hall of Fame tight end, Philip Rivers, possibly Hall of Fame quarterback. I am concerned about Philip Rivers' arm strength, but again, it's not fair to judge the Chargers on the past. This is a new group of players, new coach, literally the only two players left from those teams, Antonio Gates, Philip Rivers. And I've always said the four things you need to win a Super Bowl. Defense. Chargers have it. Quarterback, the Chargers have it. Check. Offensive line, that's where we get concerned. The offensive line last night was pretty shaky against the Kansas City Chiefs. And then coach is the last thing you need. The fourth thing I think you need to win a Super Bowl. I like Anthony Lynn. He seems like a great man. I'm rooting for him. Uh, he's a second-year coach. I, 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 is it unfair for me to say I just want him to prove it? I want him to win a playoff game before I bet he's going to win a Super Bowl? I don't know. I, I know. It's not necessarily fair. Again, I'm not trying to be fair. That's just how I feel. But maybe this is the year that Anthony Lynn proves himself and does win a Super Bowl. Then I'll say, I, I'll always bet on Anthony Lynn. I don't know. I don't think that the LA Chargers are going to win the Super Bowl. But two weeks in a row, the Chargers have won huge games, come from behind games. I was in, I was in Portland last weekend when the Chargers played the Steelers. 
And um, I was at home getting ready to go to a bar. I get in my car, drive to the bar. When I got to the bar, because when I, so here's a, sorry, let me explain this better. When I left for the bar, the Chargers were down by like three touchdowns. I got to the bar and they had the lead. And I was like, how did this even happen? It's like a 15 minute drive. I don't know. But two huge come from behind wins in a row against the Steelers and now against the Chargers, against the Chiefs, excuse me. And Phillip Rivers leads all active quarterbacks with come from behind victories of 14 points or more. He's got 11. It's absurd. Oh, and by the way, remember Melvin Gordon, the running back for the Chargers, is coming back likely week 16. But I still feel, you know, I'll believe it when I see it from the Chargers. I'm not going to bet money on the Chargers. I'm not going to. I made a list of teams I think could win the Super Bowl. I'm not going to put the Chargers on that list. I don't feel that way yet. I'm sorry. I know it makes people mad. That's just not, I don't know. It's a gut thing. I'm not ready to say the Chargers will win the Super Bowl. Their O-line concerns me. They still have a young head coach, a second-year head coach. Look, I've been wrong about many, many things. And I, I hope I'm wrong about the Chargers. I, I like what the Chargers are doing. I'm rooting for them. I, I hope Phillip Rivers wins the Super Bowl. You know, Eli Manning has two. Ben Roethlisberger has two. Sandwich right in the middle of that draft class, a 2004 draft class. Phillip Rivers has a goose egg. It would be cool to see Phillip Rivers win a Super Bowl. And Anthony Lynn, the head coach, is a good man that seems like he deserves it. Good coach. I would love for them to win. I'm rooting for the Chargers. I don't believe in the Chargers, but I, I hope I'm dead wrong. And I would love to see the Chargers win a Super Bowl. I had fun rooting for them last night. I don't think they will. But I would love to see the Chargers win a Super Bowl. Side note, it's worth noting. um, Chiefs defensive end Chris Jones had two and a half sacks against the Chargers. He now has 14 sacks in the 2018 season. 14 sacks on the season. That's second in the NFL only to Aaron Donald, who has 16 and a half. Kind of weird, too, by the way, that people with the most sacks in the NFL both play for teams in L.A., the Chargers and the Rams. It's kind of weird to me. I don't know. Um, but I want, I want to stay with the Chiefs for a minute. I, I've talked about how I don't believe in the Chargers. I've said, you know, look, I, I, it's more of a gut thing. I don't have a lot of logic behind it. Besides the offensive line, that's a real concern. So I, I know it's not entirely rational that I don't believe in the Chargers, but I don't believe in the Chargers. Now, here's a legitimate concern about the Kansas City Chiefs. At least according to some people, this is their logic. Some people make this argument about the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, the Chiefs have lost to the Patriots, the Rams, and now the Chargers. They are 11-3. and three. three huge games, they lost them all. That's what people will say. Patrick Mahomes, in big games, hasn't won. And you could argue that. You could argue, you know, the Chiefs can't win big games, but that's misleading. It's not accurate. That's silly to me. There have been five really big games on the Chiefs' schedule all year. Week one, the Chargers beat, excuse me, the Chiefs beat the Chargers by 10 points week one. That was a big game. Playoff team. Week two, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Steelers by five points. That's another big win against probably a playoff team. That's, if I count, that's two big wins in a row. Week one, week two. How about week six? The Chiefs played the Patriots. And they lost. They lost by three points. And Patrick Mahomes had two interceptions. But, you know, a three-point loss to the Patriots early in the year, that's, that's a big game. You played, you played well. You only lost by three. How about week 11? 
This is another thing people say. They, oh, well, hmm, the Chiefs lost to the, the Rams. They lost to the Rams by three points. Oh, yeah, and Patrick Mahomes had five turnovers. Three interceptions, two fumbles. Played awful. Oh, and their quarterback played awful, and they still, they still scored 51 points. A game where the Chiefs scored 51 points and somehow lost. And then most recently, last night, week 15, the Chiefs lost to the Chargers on the final play of the game, lost by one point. Here's my point. Do not tell me that the Kansas City Chiefs cannot win big games. It's silly. In their big games, their five big games this year, they're two and three. And all of their losses are by one score or less. One of them on the final play. I'm not worried about the Chiefs' chances to win in big games. You act like people who make the argument that the Chiefs have lost three big games this year, they make it sound like they haven't been competitive at all. They didn't get blown out by the Patriots. They lost on the final play to the Chargers. They didn't get blown out by the Rams. You act like they can't compete with anybody. They're two and three in big games. They lost by a score every time. Oh, and by the way, all three losses. They're only three losses, by the way. Or by one score or less. That's one play. I am not worried about the Kansas City Chiefs at all and their ability to win big games. It's silly. It's annoying. I want to end that discussion right now. Okay, we have a ton of stuff to talk about. Um, Again, this is a big day for me. I really want to say something first. It's my brother Zane's birthday. And uh, I hope I can honor his memory with my actions every single day. I, I really, I would hope my brother would be proud of the person I am today. Um, I, I started this podcast because of him. He, he took his life and I dropped out of college and didn't know what I wanted to do at all. And I really, I really honestly hope that strong opinion sports can honor his memory in some way. Cause I'm doing the things I enjoy for the first time in my life. And Zane inspired me to do that. Uh, we do a lot of stuff I want to talk about today at the end of the show. I'm going to get into a kind of a long rant about college quarterbacks and who I think is ready for the NFL, who I'm I'm going to rank three of them. We'll get into it. It'll be fun. We'll take a break, and then we'll do uh, like a, probably 20 minutes on college quarterbacks right at the end of the show. I'm going to talk about the Alliance of American Football today. I'm going to talk about the Defensive Rookie of the Year. We'll do four interesting games. I normally do two. There are four games I want to highlight this week. I'm going to talk about Jacob Eason, Bill Belichick, Russell Wilson, and a lot of stuff's coming up. Look, I... Uh, I'm not real proud of Tuesday's episode of the show. I, I didn't feel good about it. I recorded it. I put it out. I wasn't passionate. I was tired. I just wasn't myself. And I just, I, I have a bad taste on my mouth from this, that episode. Um, I thought the first, two epi- the first two segments of the show, I think Jalen Hurts and whatever the, second, <laughs> the first segment was, it was good. Um, but I, I'm really excited for today's show. I feel good about it. And I'm excited to share with you guys. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. God, I need water. On a day like that, days where I'm actually like pumped up and ready to go, my voice goes way faster. Um... I have a big life change coming up. I'll repeat it again. I have a big life change coming up. Uh, It's still a secret. It's about two or three weeks away from me telling you guys and making it public. I can't talk about it yet. Um, But I I don't know about you. Whenever you, whenever I have a big event coming up, 
I get really excited. And it's like this – there's this thing on the horizon. I know it's coming. I can't wait to do it and to talk about it, and I get really excited. You know, if I'm about to start a new job or buy a new car or transfer schools, anytime I do anything like that, I, I get really, really excited because I know something incredible is on the horizon. So today I'm calling my shot, I, and I, I'm really excited about this. I want to make a prediction I feel incredibly strong about it okay again i've said there's that feeling when you have something on the horizon the university of washington football team in seattle has something big on the horizon they have a something's coming something incredible earlier in 2018 february right before spring ball started quarterback jacob eason transferred from georgia to the university of washington And uh, if, if you don't know the backstory of Jacob Eason, he was supposed to be the starting quarterback at Georgia. In fact, Jacob Eason was the starting quarterback at Georgia. He got hurt. Jake from the backup came in and played well, got hot. They didn't lose, so they just left him in. And uh, Jacob Eason never again got a chance to play at Georgia. He transferred to the University of Washington. And in the television show Game of Thrones, there's a saying. People say, winter's coming. And what that means is there's this impending ominous thing on the horizon and it's going to be a big deal Jacob Eason is on the horizon at UW he is a big deal and it's going to, he's going to take charge of the Pac-12 very soon I hope the rest of the Pac-12 is on notice I believe Jacob Eason is going to shred the Pac-12 he might be the best quarterback in the country I really legitimately believe that first of all I want you to look him up on YouTube that's silly pause the video I don't care what you do look at it later maybe I don't know Look up Jacob Eason on YouTube. Watch his high school highlights. He's different. He's a different animal. I don't say that very often. I don't like talking about arm strength. I think often it's overrated. Watch the way Jacob Eason throws the football. It's like Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. And those guys, it's working. I I don't know. They're, They're fantastic. Jacob Eason's ability to throw the football is just on a different level. And I, it starts there. But then you think about, okay, well, Jacob Eason had to transfer, which meant he had to sit out for a year. Jacob Eason's had a year to sit out, to lift weights, to learn the offense, to mature mentally. He's he's older. He turned 21. He's an older guy. And I bet Jacob Eason's eager to play. Add all those things up. That's a recipe I believe It's going to help Jacob Eason. How many times am I going to say his name in this segment? I don't know. But there's this in-state quote, this rivalry between the University of Washington and Washington State. And that that rivalry game is called the Apple Cup. Washington State has not won that, quote, rivalry game, the Apple Cup, since 2012. And I predict they're not going to win again anytime soon. UW has dominated Washington State. And with Jacob Eason, they're going to continue to dominate Washington State. In fact, I think UW is going to dominate the Pac-12 with Jacob Eason at quarterback. Also, fun factoid about Jacob Eason. This is where it gets really interesting and cool. I think he's the only player ever to have this in the history of of football, college football at least. Last year, Jacob Eason was the backup quarterback at Georgia. They went to the Rose Bowl. Now a year later, Jacob Eason went from Georgia to a different team, Washington, and they're going back to the Rose Bowl. And I just think that's funny to me. It's, It's curious. I think it's very possible. It's never happened before that a player... One year went to the Rose Bowl, 
The next year went to the Rose Bowl again with a different team. Does anybody done that? Two seasons in a row with two separate teams gone to the Rose Bowl. I don't know that anybody else can claim that. That's pretty cool. But again, this segment, the point of it was, Jacob Eason's a big deal. He's going to dominate the Pac-12. It's my prediction. It's my, I hope. It's my belief. I'm rooting for him. Seems like a great guy. And I don't think people are, I don't think people understand how good he's going to be and how, how much he's going to dominate the Pac-12. I, I am, it's like Game of Thrones when people say winter's coming. There is an impending thing on the horizon, and it's Jacob Eason. I want to talk about Michigan football briefly. We talked about there's something on the horizon. I think, I believe we are about to see a lot of dominance from the University of Michigan football program. So again, recently Ohio State head coach Urban Meyer announced that he is stepping down at the end of the season after the Rose Bowl. Urban Meyer, the Ohio State head coach, is stepping down. That news dramatically changes Michigan's football program, their future. See, three of the four years that Jim Harbaugh has been the head coach of the Michigan football program, he's won 10 games. 10 games, three times, eight games, one season. The problem is, despite all the success that Jim Harbaugh's had, Ohio State always wins one more game. They win 11. Jim Harbaugh will win 10, have a great year. Oh, but you were overshadowed by Ohio State. And Jim Harbaugh has not been able to beat Ohio State. Now that the big man on campus, now that Urban Meyer stepping down at Ohio State, I think it's about to change. Now, that's one good thing going for Michigan football. Furthermore, a guy named Cade McNamara, quarterback in Nevada, high school quarterback, he's a senior right now, he's headed to Michigan. Uh, Jordan Palmer speaks really highly of him. I followed him for a little while. I believe he's the next Michigan quarterback. And I believe Michigan's going to win the Big Ten Championship in the next three years, if not next year. Oh, and by the way, please stop telling me that Jim Harbaugh is considering going to the NFL. It's not, it's not going to happen. First of all, Jim Harbaugh makes bucket loads of money at Michigan. He's not leaving that anytime soon. But more than that, Jim Harbaugh can run completely unopposed in the Big Ten. Nobody, nobody does that. You don't wait for a roadblock to get out of your way just to walk away. For example, if you're sitting and waiting, you've been at a bridge lift, happens all the time in Portland where I live, you'll get to a bridge, the bridge is up, you got to wait for the thing to come down so you can drive across. Nobody waits for the bridge to come down and then gives up and just walks home instead. You drive across, you've been waiting to drive for 20 minutes. Jim Harbaugh's been waiting to beat Ohio State for four years. Now he's got his opportunity to dominate in the Big Ten with Urban Meyer out of the way. He's not going to lead to the NFL. That's silliness. Please stop. Again, Cade McNamara, he's the next Ohio State quarter, a next Michigan quarterback. Shea Patterson's got one more year. I think Cade McNamara is the next guy. But furthermore than that, Michigan football is about to dominate the Big Ten because their Harbinger, whatever the word is, their roadblocks out of the way. And Michigan football can now dominate in the Big Ten. Here's something really cool I'm about to talk about. Um I have some friends playing in this league. I'll, I'll talk about it in a minute. I know a couple guys. Maybe I can get them on the show. I don't want to say their names yet in case I can't. I don't want to hurt their careers. I don't know. I'm a dumb kid on YouTube. Maybe I say dumb stuff that hurts their career. I don't know. <clears throat> but I've been, this week I've been obsessed with the Alliance of American Football. It's a new league. 
And I, I love it so much. It's fantastic. First of all, it's exactly what I want. The Alliance of American Football is a developmental football league, helping players as a stepping stone to get to the NFL. You get out of college, you're not quite good enough for the NFL, or you get cut by a team. What do you do? You go sell insurance, now you can go play in the Alliance of American Football League instead, get somewhat of a paycheck, develop your skills, and try to move up to the big leagues. I like that idea a ton. There's also some really smart business moves behind the Alliance of American Football I want to talk about. First thing is that this is what I really love. So actually, I'm going to confuse everybody for a minute. The Alliance of American Football just did a quarterback draft. And I don't know that this is a thing that's going to happen every year. I I think it might be unique to this one season. They did it to build hype and, oh, we got a quarterback, yay! Um, But what I know is that Josh Johnson was the number one overall pick in the Alliance of American Football draft. He signed, he got drafted, and literally like a week later, he got signed by the Washington Redskins, moved up, into, moved up into the NFL. And a lot of people on social media were mad at Josh Johnson. How could you leave? You signed to our team. You were going to be with the San Diego fleet. Now you left. And I don't think people understand how this league works and what its objective is. The Alliance of American Football League worked perfectly because it got Josh Johnson an opportunity to go to the NFL. That is the point of the league. It's not, you're not there to have a 10-year career there as a stepping stone to move up. Now, here's the genius business move I I hinted at I want to talk about. I probably confused everybody. There was a draft. I don't think it's ever going to happen again. It was only for quarterbacks. It was only for the position of quarterback. If you don't play quarterback this year, here's how you are selected to your team. Here's how you are allocated to your team. This is, I love this idea. Okay, here's what happens. If I played college football at USC... I go play for the Alliance of American football team that is closest to USC. In, in USC's case, it's San Diego. If you played in Utah, you go play for the Salt Lake City team. Play in Texas, you go play for the team in San Antonio. The reason for this is so cool. It's because you want a built-in fan base. If I was a fan of you at Texas, and I live in San Antonio, and I, I'm a fan of the San Antonio team— Hey, I already love this guy. Now he's playing for my team again. You have a built-in fan base. It's smart. It's regional. I really like the idea. But it's not just for colleges. If I play for the Jacksonville Jaguars and I got cut, I'm in the state of Florida. I got cut. The team I go to is the Orlando, what is their name? The Orlando Apollos. I don't know their names. I'm learning the league. But I like this idea. I like the regional concept behind the, the league. If you're in the CFL, you go from whatever CFL team is closest to, you go to whatever AAF team is closest to your CFL team. West Coast, East Coast, middle of the country, yada, yada. I, like, I, I think it's a great idea. I'm a fan of this league. I love it. I don't know, man. Here's another cool thing they've done. Here's some small, slight rule changes that the AAF have done that I think are fantastic. I, I like these moves. I'm going to get into them now. The first thing they did is get rid of kickoffs. They said that kickoffs are dangerous, and, and frankly, they're boring. And I agree with that. I don't watch kickoffs. I fast-forward through games because uh, I get way behind. I'll like, pause for 30 minutes and make food or whatever and come back so I can fast-forward through commercials. I never watch kickoffs. I don't care. Unless there's a touchdown, I don't care. The Lions of American football said, no kickoffs. What we're going to do, you start with the ball at the 25-yard line. Fantastic. Also, there's no extra point. The point of the league is to get guys highlight film and get guys back into the NFL or 
move up to the NFL. So you have to go for two every single time. That's fun. That's exciting. I like that. That's cool. The only issue with having no kickoffs is this. If you don't have kickoffs, what do you do for onside kicks? This is my favorite part of this whole thing. I, I, this is my favorite part of the whole league. Because you don't do kickoffs, and if I'm down by two points, if I'm down by two points, I have scored a touchdown, I have the ball with a minute left, you can't kick an onside kick, what do you do? How do you get the ball back? Here's what you can do. You get the ball on your own 35-yard line with 4th and 10. You get one down. It's 4th and 10. You get one down to try to pick up 10 yards and get a first down. And if you get the first down, you can keep the ball and keep driving. So instead of an onside kick where you kick a ball and it's a crapshoot, hey, it's interesting. You get one down to try to get a first down. If you get the ball, if you get the first down, it's your ball. You can keep driving. If you don't get the ball, if you don't get the first down, the opponent gets the ball in deep in your own territory. It could highly, heavily backfire. I like this a lot. I hope teams are creative with it. I, I think this is fantastic. Awesome. All, everything about this league is awesome. I love, I'm a huge fan. No one's paying me to say this. I'm just a nerd. I really enjoy the idea of the AAF. There's only one concern I have. I have friends playing in this league. We've talked about it. Uh, the way that players are paid in the AAF is you have three-year contracts. They're not guaranteed, but you get a three-year contract with $250,000. So over a three-year span, you're paid $250,000. That averages out to $83,000 a year. It's actually pretty good. I, I don't mind that at, at first glance. That sounds like a good idea. Here's the only problem with that. There's no pay scale. If you're living in Birmingham, Alabama, I think it's a Birmingham iron. Dude, you're living large. $83,000 a year, sitting pretty, you got a great house, you're good. If you're living in San Diego, California, $83,000 is nothing. You're paid like a teacher. It's garbage. Uh, and I think I was less than a teacher in San Diego. It's, it's really it's a hard way to live. You're like four people at an apartment with that kind of money. So it's, that's the only flaw I can find with the AAF is that there's not a pay scale depending on where you are in the country. I think that could be solved and maybe cleaned up a little bit. But other than that, I mean, because I'd want to live in Alabama. Let me live in Alabama, play football, live very like low, like low cost. Sounds awesome to me. Um, but other than that, everything I've heard about the AAF is fantastic. I'm a fan of it. I think it's awesome. And I, I so badly want this league to succeed. I desperately want more football. I know football ends in February. There's a whole dry spell. How great would it be? To, instead of watching stupid, boring baseball, if I could watch AAF football for a couple months, I'm in heaven. Zach's in heaven. And I'm a weird guy anyways. I love the idea of a developmental league. It's my favorite thing. I'm all in. I, I love watching the preseason football games. I, I know I'm weird. I, I just I record preseason games because I get to watch backups. I enjoy watching third-string quarterback out of Alabama nowhere play quarterback. I just enjoy that. How is this guy going to turn out? How is this guy going to turn out? It's fun for me, you know, watching Chandler Harnish and all these other guys you've never heard of play quarterback. That's fun. And so what we do is in, with the developmental league is preseason all the time. It's always nerdy kind of recruiting and analyzing. Is this guy ready to move up? Is this guy, this guy, I don't know. Um, and I, this is what I want to see. I would love for Johnny Manziel to come to the league, things like that. Um, but I'm just excited, man. The AAF is a fantastic idea, and I, I'm really excited. This is what I want to watch uh, next summer. I really, I hope this league works out. I hope it's successful. I hope it lasts for a long time. It's a great idea that has my full attention, and I will be watching it. I will support it and watch it with all my I'll give it all the support I can because I really am a fan of the AAF. It's a great idea. 
Okay, something's been really, really annoying me this week. So on Sunday, on Sunday, the New England Patriots lost to the Miami Dolphins 34-33. to And the Dolphins won on the last play. It was a very interesting play. The Dolphins threw a medium-length pass, like 30 yards downfield. They then lateraled the ball twice. And the ball ended up in Kenyon Drake's hands. He ran 52 yards, weaving between players into the end zone for a touchdown. Crazy. A weird way to end a game. But here's where it gets really interesting was the guy who missed the tackle at the end of the game. The reason why the Dolphins scored. The guy who missed the tackle and allowed Kenyon Drake to score was the Patriots tight end Rob Gronkowski. And Patriots head coach Bill Belichick got all kinds of hate. All, all kinds of stuff was poured on him this week. He doesn't care, but I care. I'm defending Bill Belichick. People said, why would you have Gronk there in the first place? Gronk is an offensive player. Why would you make Gronk play defense on the final play of the game? He doesn't even know how to tackle. People are dumb. Look, I, I get it. I understand your stupidity and why you would feel this way. But what Bill Belichick did is a common practice. This is not a con- I, I can't believe we have to have this conversation. This is not a controversial decision. All kinds of teams do this. They've done it for years. The Falcons put Julio Jones out on the last play of the game. The Vikings used to put out Randy Moss. The Lions used to put out Megatron, Calvin Johnson, because he was... Here's the reasoning. If the Dolphins throw a Hail Mary, you want your best jump ball player there to break up the pass. A.K.A. You want Rob Gronkowski there if the ball is hucked deep, ready to knock the ball down. Maybe that whole concept needs re-examining. That's very possible. I don't think so. People have done it for years. It normally works. But what you can't expect is that the Dolphins are going to run a short pass, lateral three times, and have to have Rob Gronkowski make a tackle. That wasn't in the plan. I don't know. And please stop criticizing Bill Belichick for this. I hear Bill Belichick did something really cool. I mean, he's got to do this. He's a head coach, but he took the blame. He said, it starts with me. You know, he's very boring, hood on, kind of boring guy. It starts with me. And, you know, it's, you know, I can't have that kind of happy thing happen. I don't know, but I understand Bill Belichick took the blame, but there's no, no blame to go around. It's an unfortunate thing. It was a fluke. The way the Dolphins won was ridiculous and it'll never happen again. They got lucky. And to blame coaching to blame Rob Gronkowski for I don't know it's just I think it was right to have Rob Gronkowski on the field that's what you do you want Rob Gronkowski there on the field in case there's a Hail Mary thrown he can knock the ball down and he missed a tackle it sucked it was a fluke it'll never happen again for and the rest of the Miami Dolphins history of their franchise so please stop giving Bill Belichick crap things we have left to talk about we are going to talk about bruce arians we'll talk about four fascinating games russell wilson defensive rookie of the year and then we'll take a break and we will talk about rookie quarterbacks it'll be fun i need water man we're 36 minutes it's crazy it's flying by i when i'm in a good mood this show is fantastic i hope you're enjoying i'm enjoying this um, and you know, this is the last show I'll ever do in this room. So I don't really care anymore. I felt really bad for a long time about being loud. Like, I'm really sorry that you're on the other side of this wall. I'm sorry. I, I don't know, man. I'm moving out. Bye. I, sorry. I feel bad. I'm not trying to.
hurt the guy on the other. So I think he's gone. I think everybody literally moved out of my hall this week. It's Friday, the week of finals. Nobody's here anyways. I don't know. Bruce Arians is still talking about how badly he wants to be the Cleveland Browns head coach. One point I want to make on this right off the bat is people have responded to my video about Bruce Arians and said, well, Bruce Arians has health concerns. He made it very clear. Bruce Arians said he retired because of health issues. The health issues are gone. He's gained 10 pounds. He made a joke. He's fine. If, If Bruce Arians said his health is good, his health is good. He can be the coach. Cool with me. But here's what I really, really like is, too, he clearly really wants to be a part of the Browns. How rare is that, that you have a coach dying to want to be a part of the Browns? And whether Bruce Arians becomes the head coach of the Browns or not, this is a great sign. How long has it been since anybody was excited to play football in Cleveland, to be a part of the Cleveland Browns? You have a guy begging, and not begging, but making it very clear he wants to be the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. That's a rare occurrence. We don't get that very often. What that tells me is Baker Mayfield was the right choice. People are excited to work with Baker Mayfield. People want to work with Baker Mayfield. Bruce Arians has enthusiasm at the idea of working with Baker Mayfield. That tells me he was the right pick. It's awesome. I love the idea of hiring Bruce Arians. I hope it happens. He's my favorite, one of my favorite coaches in the NFL. Probably goes Belichick, Bruce Arians, honestly. Belichick, Bruce Arians, Pete Carroll. And then, you know, Matt Nagy and Sean McVay. But, and then Kyle Shanahan. I should, rank, I should rank coach regardless. Who cares? Um, if Bruce Arians was hired, he said he would keep Freddie Kitchens, who is currently the offensive coordinator in Cleveland. I love that idea. If you don't know the history, Bruce Arians was the head coach in Arizona for a long time. Freddie Kitchens was one of his employees. They have a good relationship. They've worked together before. Fantastic. Keep him on. It's working with Baker. It's all good. And I think it's even possible. Bruce Aarons was very praising of Greg Williams, the current defensive coordinator and interim head coach. He's like, you know, Greg Williams has done a good job. Maybe he would keep Greg Williams on too. That's not too far-fetched. It's very possible. I don't know. But again, I go back to this. Whether or not they keep him, whether or not they hire Bruce Aarons, excuse me, the fact that he wants to be a part of the Browns so badly is a great, great deal. I mean, Baker Mayfield's had the best rookie season of any of the rookie quarterbacks. And he's proven, Baker has proven he was deserving of the number one pick. I love that. It's awesome. And again, I'm honestly just really happy to see people in Cleveland excited about football. Not just fans that are crazy. Like, it's a thing. Cleveland is on the upswing. It's exciting. It's fun. This is all I've wanted from Cleveland. They're like a little engine that could we just root for them. Please, can Cleveland get it figured out? They are. It's awesome. I, I'm so happy for them. And uh, I'm a huge fan of Bruce Arians and the way he does things. And I really hope that Bruce Arians can become a part of building the Browns into the team I believe they can be with Baker Mayfield. That would be awesome. It seems like they're building something. If I were the Browns, I would hire Bruce Arians tomorrow, make him part of it. If he's not, no hard feelings, but I would really love to see Bruce Arians as the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. I need water. Man, my mouth is like drying up very quickly. <clears throat> Here was check your phone in the middle of a podcast. You don't because you don't do podcasts like I do. Um, there are four fascinating games this week in NFL Week 15. 
I call these snake charmer games. These are games that I think are incredibly fascinating. That they're not necessarily the best matchup, although these these four really are great matchups. But they're games that I just am very curious about. The storylines compel me, and I'm I'm just excited to watch. The first game I want to talk about is the Dallas Cowboys playing in Indianapolis against the Indianapolis Colts. It's an early Sunday game if you're on the West Coast in the morning. If you're on the East Coast, it's 1 o'clock. Um, this is why this game is so interesting. The Colts are 7-6. and six. So are the Ravens. So are the Dolphins. So are the Titans. All four of those teams are vying for the final wild card spot in the AFC. The Colts got to win. They got to keep their playoff hopes alive and beat the Cowboys on Sunday. And the Cowboys are 8-5. and five. And they're in a spot nobody really expected them to be a couple weeks ago. They're number one in the AFC East, and they have a two-game lead in the AFC East. The Dallas Cowboys can afford to lose. The Colts cannot. It's a must-win game for the Colts, and I think the Colts are slightly overmatched. Here are the matchups that I think I'm really curious about. The Colts have the number eight offense in the NFL, and the Dallas Cowboys have the number four-ranked defense in the NFL. Defense is slightly better higher ranked than the, Cow- than the Colts offense. That's what I'm excited to watch is the way the front seven plays against the Indianapolis Colts. How does Andrew Luck handle pressure? Do they get a lot of pressure on Andrew Luck? I think Andrew Luck's going to be under dress all, day, all game. The next thing is that the Colts have the number eight run defense in the NFL. They play the run really well. They've invested in some young linebackers. They've drafted really well. They have the number eight run defense in the NFL. Now the Dallas Cowboys... Dallas Cowboys have the number six rushing game in the NFL. They're uh, yards per carry, yards per game. They're getting 132 yards per game. Uh, what I what I'm excited to watch in the Colts and Cowboys game is just a physical brawl. It's going to be a physical, tough matchup. Watch the linebackers. It's going to be really exciting. A lot of hitting. Who can run the ball? Who gets after the quarterback? Here's the one storyline I want to watch that you might not know about. Dak Prescott, the Dallas Cowboys quarterback leads the NFL in fumbles. He has 12 this year. And I'm curious, does that come? It's gonna, I think it's hopefully a close game. I don't know. Could that be a deciding factor late in the game? Does Dak Prescott have a fumble that turns the tides and hurts the Dallas Cowboys? The second game I want to talk about, the second most fascinating game in the NFL this week, in Week 15, is the Dolphins at the Vikings in Minnesota. It's also an early Sunday game again, 10 o'clock on the East Coast, on the West Coast, 1 o'clock on the West Coast, uh, East Coast, you know what I'm saying. East Coast, 1 o'clock, West Coast, 10 o'clock. The Dolphins are 7 and 6. They're one of those teams right in the cusp trying to get the final wild card spot in the AFC. And the Vikings are in the exact same position. The Vikings are 6, 6 and 1. They are trying to get the final wild card spot in the other conference, the NFC. Here's a wild stat, though, that I think makes this game fascinating. The Vikings have the number one third down defense in the NFL. And in contrast, a horrifying reality for the Miami Dolphins is the Miami Dolphins have the 30th out of 32 teams with third down conversion percentage. Their offense is terrible on third down. And they're going up against a team that's fantastic on third down. I think it's very possible that the Dolphins are going to get waxed by the Miami Dolphins. Sorry, the Vikings, I think, might decimate the Dolphins. The Vikings have one of the best passing offenses in the NFL, a top 10 passing offense. And by the way, the Miami Dolphins have a bottom half of the league pass defense. They're 25th out of 32 teams. 
I think the Vikings could dominate the Dolphins. If you look at the statistics, you say, well, look, the Dolphins are terrible on third down. The Vikings are great on third down, their defense. The Vikings offense throws the ball incredibly well, and the Dolphins defense is terrible against the pass. Those combined add up to a probably a, an ugly game for the Miami Dolphins. I'm curious if that all turns out to be true. The fourth game I'm really fascinated in in the NFL this week is the Pittsburgh Steelers against the New England Patriots. It's in Pittsburgh. This is a Sunday afternoon game. It's 4 o'clock, I think 4.30 on the East Coast, 1.30 on the West Coast. The Patriots are 9-4. and four, And right now they're the number two seed in the AFC, but not by much. The Patriots are 9-4. and four. The Texans are also 9-4 and four head-to-head. The Patriots have the advantage, but the Patriots have to keep winning to keep the Texans from breathing down their neck. And if the Patriots don't get the number two seed, they don't have a bye week in the first round of the playoffs, and they would not have a home playoff game. Now, the Steelers, on the other hand, are 7-5-1. They also have to win this game. So the Patriots are in the playoffs, I think, regardless. The Steelers are in danger of not making the playoffs if they don't win. They're 7-5-1. The Ravens are 7-6, breathing right down their neck, possibly going to take the division from them. The Steelers have to win on Sunday. This is why it's a wild matchup, though. The Steelers are incredibly talented. They are a far more physically gifted team than the New England Patriots. But the Patriots have coaching and scheme. And this is one of those cool matchups where David versus Goliath, not necessarily, but you have physical talent versus scheme and preparation. Uh, this is what I love. My favorite movie, Rush, is a movie about two NASCAR, uh, Formula One drivers. It's my third favorite movie of all time. It's fantastic. It's about guys who have different opposite approaches. One guy's really prepared. The other guy's really talented. And when they clash, it's fantastic. This is a similar matchup to the movie Rush with the Steelers and the Patriots. Tons of talent versus tons of coaching and preparation. I don't know who's going to win. And it's going to be really exciting to watch on Sunday. My final game I want to talk about, it's actually Monday night football between the New Orleans Saints and the Carolina Panthers in Carolina. The Saints are 11-2, the Panthers are 6-7. Normally this is not a great intense matchup, but here's why this game is interesting. The Panthers at 6-7 are one game behind the Minnesota, like half a game actually, behind the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings are 6-6-1, the Panthers are 6-7. They're both vying for the final wildcard spot. The Panthers need to at least win two of their next three games if they want a shot at the playoffs. And it's especially wild because the Panthers play the Saints this week. They play the Falcons next week, and then they play the Saints again two weeks from now. It's very rare to play a team three times in two weeks. That's Sorry, two times in three weeks. That's what the Panthers and the Saints are doing in the next couple weeks. It's fantastic. The Saints have the number one run defense in the NFL in contrast, the Panthers have the number one run offense. We are going to see a clash of the Titans on Sunday. I think it's going to be a very physical game, really fun to watch. Again, the Saints have a great defense against the run. The Panthers run the ball incredibly well. Who's going to win? I don't know. It's going to be fun. It's going to be intense and wild. I just cannot wait to watch the Saints and the Panthers. Again, my four games I'm excited for. Saints and Panthers. Patriots-Steelers. Cowboys-Colts. Dolphins and Vikings. Those are my four snake charmer games. I'm really excited to watch in the NFL week 15. Okay. uh, One more. I'm going to do one more and then I'm going to take a short break 
And we'll talk about defensive rookie of the year after the break. How about that? So Russell Wilson's season has been wildly underappreciated, if you ask me. Not because of Russell Wilson's stats. Again, Russell Wilson has been wildly, wildly underappreciated this year, and it's not because of his stats. Because of the role Russell Wilson has taken with the Seattle Seahawks in 2018. The way Russell Wilson has been willing to work with his team has been incredible. The Seahawks completely changed their offense in 2018. Right now, the Seahawks have a number one rushing offense in the NFL. They have the most yards. They have the most attempts. They run the ball a ton. They have 2,000 yards rushing. It's ridiculous. And they're rarely passing. It's, it's very interesting. First of all, what, what one of their philosophies that this year they're doing is a fourth of the snaps the Seahawks have run, they have six offensive linemen. It's absurd. That's ridiculous. Six offensive linemen on the field at once. 25% of the time, that's un- unreal. They're also 24th in the NFL in pass attempts. Russell Wilson, only two quarterbacks have started all season other than Russell Wilson have fewer pass attempts. It's Marcus Mariota and Sam Darnold. Russell Wilson is not playing the way he normally plays. He's throwing the ball way less. He's being limited. He's doing a lot of play action, throwing the ball downfield. Now, oddly enough, despite all of this, despite the limitations that the Seahawks have put on Russell Wilson, I don't, know if it's, I don't know if limitation is the right word. Despite the style of play the Seahawks have chosen to play with, Russell Wilson is still fifth in touchdown passes in the NFL. Fifth. What I think this tells us about Russell Wilson is that he has tremendous humility. Russell Wilson doesn't care about the fame. I think he cares about the money a little bit. Clearly, he signed a huge contract. Wouldn't we all? But the fact that Russell Wilson has been willing to take a lesser role to help his team win, I applaud that. I respect that. Nobody's talking about that. Nobody's really appreciating that aspect of it. The ego, the hit to the chin Russell Wilson's had to take to say, you know what, we're going to run the ball the most in the NFL. We're going to throw the ball barely at all. My role is going to massively change. And I'm okay with that because I just want to win. That is what Russell Wilson has done this year. I love it. It's fantastic. And it's working. I've criticized the Seahawks for years that their offensive line has not been helping Russell Wilson. Who would have thought you just add an extra offensive lineman most of the time? A fourth of the time. You just get a sixth offensive lineman in there. Oh, wow. Suddenly you can block for Russell Wilson. It's, it's working well. It's fantastic. Um, and I really applaud Russell Wilson for his humility and willingness to change his role within the locker room. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we will talk about who I believe should be the defensive rookie of the year. And then we will jump into college quarterbacks and guys preparing for the NFL draft. It's about, it's one, two, three, four, five pages all about rookie quarterbacks. And it's going to be a doozy. So guys, remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. Help me grow by telling your friends about the show. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Uh, I want to start now with the Defensive Rookie of the Year. In the NFL this year, the favorite for the Defensive Rookie of the Year is the Chargers safety Derwin James. And I understand why people love this guy so much. He's been pretty dominant. You know, he's got three interceptions, 66 tackles in 14 games. He's been really, really fantastic. 
And as much as I love Derwin James, I honestly think the person I would vote for for Defensive Rookie of the Year is the Cowboys linebacker Leighton Vander Esch. He's been unbelievable. That's who I would give the award to. He's played in 13 games, one fewer than Derwin James. And he has almost as many interceptions, two interceptions, and 81 tackles. But mostly it's been his impact on the Dallas Cowboys roster that leads me to believe he's the defensive rookie, uh, rookie of the year. His impact's been incredible. So last year when Sean Lee, the Cowboys captain linebacker, got hurt, out for a lot of the season, the Cowboys struggled tremendously. With him, without him, completely different defenses. Well, this year when Sean Lee got hurt, Sean Lee's only played in five games this year. When Sean Lee was out this year, Leighton Vanderus came in. And Leighton Vanderus not only filled his shoes quite nicely, I think he might have even played better. Dare I say, in fact, I think it's pretty clear Leighton Vanderus is the better linebacker. And he's a rookie. It's unbelievable. It's the most surprising story of the year. I know it's completely subjective, the person who should win Defensive Rookie of the Year. But I believe Leighton Vander Esch deserves the award. I'd give it to both. I think they're both deserving. They're both great. But the guy I would give it to is Leighton Vander Esch. For some context, here's how I would explain how good Leighton Vander Esch has been this year. He's third in the NFL in tackles. He's got more tackles than Luke Keekley. Says it all. And that guy's a rookie. Leighton Vander Esch has more tackles than Luke Keekley, and he's a rookie. That guy, Leighton Vanderus, that's my defensive rookie of the year. <clears throat> okay, um, for whatever reason, I have noticed a bunch of mock drafts beginning to appear. And uh, you know, I, guess, I guess I understand why they appear. People like me, dumb people like me, click on them. But I, for the life of me, man, it's so irritating because people create all these gigantic draft boards, all these predictions, and we don't even know who's entering the NFL draft yet. I, I'm seeing names like Justin Herbert and Dwayne Haskins, and they haven't even made their decision. We don't know if they're going to be in the draft yet. How can you make a mock draft without it? It, dr- it drives me nuts. I don't know. Some people even have Daniel Jones, the Duke quarterback, who's a junior and not that great, going in the first round of the New York Giants. Are you kidding me? I, I don't know. I, I just, oh, man. Uh, that's an absurd thought. So what I, I what I have done today is I have compiled my notes on each quarterback. This is a preliminary kind of preliminary thoughts. I still have a lot more research to do. I want to watch a lot more tape before I make definitive final says. But I, I do have a top three. I'm going to give you a my top three in order quarterbacks uh, that are supposedly entering the NFL draft. These are the guys I like the most. I'll tell you why. And I don't know that I'm going to change on that. I've watched a lot of film on these three guys. Uh, so I just want to share my current view. It's subject to change. It could completely change. I don't know. But this is my current view on all of the quarterbacks potentially entering the NFL draft. So again, I plan to rank my top three. I plan to explain the ranking, tell you why. And not only just explain that, but tell you where I think each quarterback would fit best in the NFL. What team I think they should go to if things went out ideally. Now, right off the bat, I want to say this. I am not going to talk about Jake Browning, quarterback from the University of Washington. He's bad. He's not very good. He does a lot of terrible things, makes terrible decisions, bad interceptions, bad throws. I don't want to talk about Jake Browning. I don't want to do it at all in this process. He's a a sixth-round quarterback at best. He's just not—he's a backup. I don't care about Jake Browning. I get a lot of comments— 
So what do you think Jake Browning's going to do? Nothing. He's trash. He's not very good. I'm sorry. You Dub fans even know that. And briefly, I want to talk about Trace McSorley. This is another comment I get. Talk about Trace McSorley, the Penn State quarterback. Um, look, he's fun to watch. And I really hope, I hope he plays in the AAF, honestly, because I want to watch Trace McSorley. He's fun. He's scrappy. He can run. He's like Donnie Menzel with a little bit more accuracy and better arm strength. But um, he's not an NFL quarterback. He's maybe a Canadian Football League quarterback. Maybe he's a franchise quarterback in the AAFL. I don't know. Um, but I, I want to watch Trace McSorley play. I'm selfish, and I like his style of play. I hope he goes somewhere where he can actually be on the field. Um, but I don't think Trace McSorley is – he's definitely not a franchise quarterback in the NFL. And I don't know that he's even necessarily a top-tier backup. I just He might make a roster somewhere, uh, but his skill set does not translate well to the NFL. Now, my top three quarterbacks entering the NFL draft, supposedly that we know of, go as followed. My number one quarterback available right now is the Ohio State quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. Followed by number two, Justin Herbert from Oregon. And number three, Drew Locke from Missouri. I do also plan to discuss a couple other quarterbacks. We'll get to it in a minute. But first, I want to start with Drew Locke, the quarterback from Missouri. This guy has the biggest arm in the draft. He's fantastic. He can throw the ball a mile. Um, And I think he really... Here's where I think the best fit for Drew Locke is. Drew Locke could succeed with the New York Giants. I think the Giants are the best fit for him. Be careful of my wording. The Giants are the best fit for Drew Locke. He has a huge arm. He's got a great deep ball, especially down the sideline. Tear him up with Odell Beckham Jr. That's a match made in heaven. I think it'd be special. But Drew Locke misses a lot of reads, and he struggles with accuracy randomly at very weird times. I don't understand on on easy throws. But I do think Pat Shermer, the Giants head coach, an offensive guru, a guy who helped Case Keenum last year in Minnesota, Pat Shermer could really help Drew Locke develop as a quarterback. So he has a ton of room to grow. Here's why I think the Giants are a good fit for Drew Locke. There's no pressure. The Giants have Eli Manning. There's no pressure for Drew Locke to come in and play right away. Eli's presence would give Drew Locke the benefit of taking his time and getting ready and fully prepared before he's thrown to the Wolves. So New York is the best fit for Drew Locke. It allows him to buy some time. He's not expected to play immediately. And I think his arm strength could work in New York. I think Drew Locke could succeed in New York, but Drew Locke... Well, New York might be the best fit for Drew Locke. Drew Locke is not necessarily the best fit for New York. Does that make sense? I think it does. Ohio State quarterback Dwayne Haskins is the best fit for the New York Giants. In fact, Dwayne Haskins is my favorite quarterback in this draft class, if he does indeed enter the NFL draft. Just imagine this. Odell Beckham Jr., Saquon Barkley and Dwayne Haskins is throwing to all of them. Both of them. It's unbelievable. That'd be fantastic. That is a match made in heaven. Dwayne Haskins is the best quarterback for the New York Giants. Haskins is awesome. Here's the most interesting thing you will see on Dwayne Haskins' highlight tape. On his his film. You watch his good throws, bad throws, whatever. When you watch Dwayne Haskins play football, you will see especially compared to Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert, the Oregon quarterback. You'll see Dwayne Haskins throws and do far more tight windows than 
Justin Herbert. It's not to say Justin Herbert doesn't throw in a tight window. So there's some throws against Cal. There's a corner against Cal. It's unbelievable. But more often than not, Justin Herbert's guys are wide open. And more often than Dwayne Haskins is, than Justin Herbert is, Dwayne Haskins, here's my point. Dwayne Haskins repeatedly, often, all the time, throws into really tight windows and makes NFL-level throws. Where his receiver will beat a man by a step, and Dwayne Haskins rips it, pulls the trigger, throws a dime. That happens all the time when you watch Dwayne Haskins. He's got great footwork. He's got great accuracy down the field. If I could design a perfect scenario that would fit everybody in the NFL draft, the Giants would get Drew Locke. The Giants would draft Drew Locke, the Missouri quarterback. They'd let Eli Manning play a little bit longer. Drew Locke would learn under Eli, get all ready to go, and Drew Locke would be totally ready when he entered the NFL to become a starting quarterback. Again, if I could draw everything up the way I wish it could happen, like a fairy tale, the Washington Redskins would get Dwayne Haskins. He's ready to play now, at least now-ish. And Alex Smith, we don't know how bad his leg injury is. Alex Smith could be out for his career. And it looks like the Redskins might need a quarterback to be ready to play week one next year. Dwayne Haskins is that guy, especially in the cold and Washington later in the year. Dwayne Haskins translates pretty well to the Washington Redskins. In my perfect scenario, the Jacksonville Jaguars get Justin Herbert. This is what I hope happens. His arm strength does not fit New York. It's not as great for Washington in the cold. You don't want him in the NFC East. But you can get Justin Herbert in Florida playing in Houston, playing in a dome in Indianapolis, playing in Tennessee. That's what I want to see from Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert in Florida is a great fit. Fantastic. Now I want you to watch Dwayne Haskins versus Penn State. Go watch that game film. Look up Dwayne Haskins versus Penn State 2018. And what you will see is that Dwayne Haskins really, really struggled early in the game, but he kept fighting. He kept going. He stayed resilient. And that is what I respect. That's why I think Dwayne Haskins is the best quarterback in this draft class. Now, if I were to compare the skill sets of all three of these guys, you know, where does, who does Drew Locke compare to? Who does Dwayne Haskins compare to? Who does Justin Herbert compare to? Drew Locke's skill set compares to Jay Cutler, not the personality, not the angry sideline, but simply the ability to throw the ball, that huge arm. You remember Jay Cutler had some fantastic years in Chicago throwing the football. I think Drew Locke is very similar with both from the SEC, but more often than that is the large, incredible arm strength that Drew Locke has. He's not Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, but Drew Locke has a great arm. Reminds me of Jay Cutler. Dwayne Haskins reminds me of Alex Smith. Not Alex Smith does a thing where he does not pull the trigger on deep balls, things like that. Dwayne Haskins doesn't have that gene, but physical ability-wise, ability to run the ball a little bit, great arm downfield. Dwayne Haskins reminds me a lot of Alex Smith as far as talent. Not mental makeup, not throwing the ball, pulling the trigger downfield. Because Dwayne Haskins is not safe like Alex Smith. But... Their skill set is very similar. Now, Justin Herbert's skill set reminds me a lot of Derek Carr, the Raiders quarterback. Derek Carr does not get enough credit for his mobility. That is what Justin Herbert does, similar to Derek Carr. I don't know that Justin Herbert's going to run as much as other some quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson. I don't think he's quite that good of an athlete, but he can buy time. So 
Lamar Jackson runs to run. Justin Herbert runs to buy time and keep the ball, his eyes downfield and throw the ball downfield. Now, there's a next level between what Derek Carr does by rolling out to the right, buying time. What Russell Wilson does is not Justin Herbert. Russell Wilson will be getting sacked. He'll somehow slip out of it. He'll slip out of an arm tackle, run, extend a play, and do a cartwheel and throw the ball downfield. That's not Justin Herbert's skill set. Justin Herbert is far more like Derek Carr. He can run for some yards. He can maybe break a long run sometimes. But more often than not, the way that Justin Herbert uses his legs is to extend plays, especially, I think, at the NFL level. Roll to the right, extend a play a little longer, buy time to throw the ball downfield, not necessarily run for the sake of running. Again, I think the best fit for Justin Herbert is with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He could succeed there. And I think Justin Herbert could succeed in Washington, too. I just think the best fit for Justin Herbert is in Jacksonville, Florida. Here's what really scares me, though. The idea of having Drew Locke, the Missouri quarterback, go to the Washington Redskins. That is the one that scares me the most. If the Redskins need a quarterback to start week one, it should not be, cannot be Drew Locke. I love Drew Locke. I think he needs time under a veteran quarterback. That's why the Giants are the best fit for Drew Locke. He could learn for a couple weeks, maybe weeks, maybe months, I don't know, under Eli Manning. He's not going to be ready to start week one. I think you need to give Drew Locke a team that can buy him some time. I want to now shift your attention from Drew Locke and Dwayne Haskins and Justin Herbert. I want to talk about Jarrett Stidham. Jarrett Stidham is the former Auburn quarterback. He made a weird decision. He made a decision to leave Auburn a year early and enter the NFL draft. And I have no idea why he did this. I don't get it. He's not very good. Um, He's a great guy. He's well-spoken. He's not a first-round quarterback. I don't understand. Um, he needs time to sit on the bench. He's not ready to go. He makes far too many irresponsible throws. He lacks accuracy. He does have a good deep ball, but that's about it. Great deep ball. It's not enough. You're, you're really who does he remind me of? The Jared Stidham's skill set reminds me a lot of Ryan Tannehill. Actually, misses weird throws. Can run far better than you would think. Has a good deep ball. And I wonder if the Bengals might take a chance at Jarrett Stidham later in the draft. I think the Bengals are getting increasingly frustrated with Andy Dalton. And if it's a third or fourth round, maybe the Bengals take a chance on Jarrett Stidham, the former Auburn quarterback. I now want to talk about Will Greer. Will Greer went to West Virginia. And he's highly prepared to read defense. Will Greer is polished when it comes to the mental side of football. Makes really good decisions within structures. Now, what Will Greer is terrible, terrible at doing is when Will Greer has to scramble to get outside of the pocket. Does not work. Do not let Will Greer scramble. He makes bad decisions. He throws interceptions. He throws haphazard throws. He takes sacks. It is not good. You want Will Greer to stay within the pocket. You do not want Will Greer outside the pocket running, buying time. It does not work. Here's a big, another, another big problem with Will Greer. Will Greer can't buy time. He can't extend plays. It doesn't work. He also has a weaker arm. He has the very bare minimum you need to succeed in the NFL. But if you watch the way Will Greer throws the football, his mechanics are not very good. He throws with his entire arm 
rather than using his legs down low, it loses a lot of velocity. His ball does not have as much velocity as it could because he throws all arm rather than using his legs. The best fit for Will Greer is for him to sit behind Tom Brady. I think they have similar skill sets, especially if Will Greer can fix his mechanics. If Will Greer can sit behind Tom Brady, learn how to use his legs, learn how to work within the pocket, instead of throwing alarm, learn how to play like Tom Brady, copy his mechanics, that could be a successful formula to help Will Greer. Will Greer understands reading defenses. He really does. He could operate the Patriots system. I think if, if you can fix the mechanics, give him a compact delivery, let him learn under Tom Brady for a couple of years, I think that Will Greer could absolutely be the next Patriots quarterback. Two other quarterbacks I want to talk about. Um, very interesting. A name popped up while I was looking at these NFL prospects. A name, Daniel Jones, the quarterback from Duke. And it is bizarre to me why his name showed up. Um, some kind of nobodies have been evaluating going, Oh, Daniel Jones is the next guy. And look, he's a junior. Daniel Jones, the Duke's quarterback, should absolutely stay in college. He should not leave early. I, I will say this about Daniel Jones. I'll be say something nice. Um, he's he's been really well coached. He's pretty polished. Uh, David Cut, Cutcliffe, who is Peyton Manning's quarterback coach all throughout his career in the offseason. David Cutcliffe is Daniel Jones' head coach at Duke. But Daniel Jones is just very boring, very conservative with the ball. And uh, he's nearly a finished product, which means that he's just a conservative kind of guy who's already hit a ceiling. There's not a lot more to get out of Daniel Jones. He's got great fundamentals. Here's what I would do. If I was a general manager looking at Daniel Jones, the Duke quarterback, I'd draft him to be my backup. He's a perfect backup. He could have a little bit of brief success for a game or two here or there. He'd be great for the quarterback room. He'd be positive. He's well-spoken, be a good influence. But he's not a long-term starter. That's my problem with Daniel Jones. Doesn't quite have enough arm strength. Doesn't quite have enough accuracy. Daniel Jones is Case Keenum. That's who Daniel Jones translates to is Case Keenum. But I do like Daniel Jones. Here's the difference between Daniel Jones and Jake Browning. I would not draft Jake Browning, the UW quarterback. I would draft Daniel Jones, the quarterback out of Duke. If I had a franchise quarterback, I was looking for a backup. A guy who's stable, nice, would get along, study hard, be ready for his moment. I would draft Daniel Jones. But if I'm Daniel Jones' dad, I'm telling him, dude, go back to college. You're at Duke. You'll get a great degree. Stay in college for one more year. Polish up, get a little bit better. You can enter the NFL draft next year. I don't know why people think Daniel Jones is coming out. He's not a big name. He's not, he's, I'm sorry, he's fine. He's okay. But Daniel Jones is not the next great franchise quarterback. There's one last guy I want to talk about. Kyler Murray, the Oklahoma quarterback. He is the most fascinating prospect in years because, first of all, he's got a $5 million contract with the Oakland A's. That's ridiculous. He's got a baseball contract. He also just won the Heisman. It's, it's very, very fascinating. And he's got to make a decision. Does he want to play baseball or does Kyler Murray want to go play football professionally? Which one do you want to do? It's a, it's a very, um, I mean, I wish I had that choice, to be honest. Here's what I'm rooting for as a consumer. I hope Kyler Murray 
plays football. That's what I want to see Kyler Murray do. We, if only for the drama, we've never seen a tiny, fast quarterback like Kyler Murray do what he's about to do. If he enters the NFL draft, I would be, oh my God, I'd be ecstatic. He's a better passer than Lamar Jackson. He runs like Michael Vick, maybe a little better, a little faster, incredibly quick. But I think baseball might be the smarter choice for Kyler Murray. I mean, I don't know. More you you would think it's more money. You think it's a little easier on your body. But what do you enjoy more? I don't know. Here's how I would make this. If I'm Kyler Murray, or if I'm Kyler Murray's dad, here's how I'm advising him to make this decision. I'll put I'll, I'll put it on me. If, if I was Kyler Murray, here's what I would do. When I'm 50 years old and I look back on my life, what decision would I regret not doing? So it, if you can go play baseball for 20 years, have a great life, you're rich, you're happy, and you're never going to wonder, hmm, what if I played football? If you're never going to have that conflict in your head, go play baseball. If you can go play football and you'll never have the conflict, hmm, what if I played You know what I mean? If whatever one you can live with when you're 50 years old and feel like you did the right thing, that's what you should do. I don't know. I mean, if he loves baseball, he should play baseball. I don't know. I do know that working your way up through the minor leagues is incredibly tough. Really, really, really difficult. And, uh, I mean, he could play quarterback in the NFL. Seems like it. I don't know. I would hope so. But it is also worth noting. Look, the, the Oakland A's gave him a $5 million contract, and they liked him so much that you can even go play football for one more year. What that tells me is the Oakland A's must really, really want him. So I want to repeat one last thing. My top three quarterbacks in the NFL draft go as followed. Dwayne Haskins is my favorite quarterback if he enters the NFL draft. Then it goes Justin Herbert, and then it goes Drew Locke, the Missouri quarterback. Again, though, remember, only a couple of quarterbacks are guaranteed to be in the draft. Dwayne Haskins has more eligibility left. Daniel Jones has more eligibility. Technically, Kyler Murray could play another year. Technically, Justin Herbert could play another year. Only Drew Locke... Will Greer and Jarrett Stidham are committed to the NFL draft at this time. Oh, and Ryan Finley, who I don't care about, and Jake Browning has to. He's a senior. We don't have enough information to have all these mock drafts come out. It's driving me nuts. Daniel Jones in the first round? He's a junior, and he's not even very good. Stop. Stop wasting everybody's time with these stupid mock drafts. I don't know. I I hope Drew Locke goes to New York. I hope Dwayne Haskins goes to the Redskins. And I hope that Justin Herbert goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars. All right, guys, this has been my podcast. Thank you so very much. I really appreciate you. Um, it's, it's legitimately been a really hard day for me. This is, again, February 14th, or, geez, December 14th. Um, it's uh, my brother's birthday. It's a tough day for me. And if you're struggling, please get help. I, I just, I will always love my brother. I'll always miss him. And if you're ever struggling with mental health or anything, don't hesitate to talk to somebody. Get help. It's really important. My brother never talked to me. It's, it's been really painful for years. And so, again, happy birthday to Zane. I'll miss him forever. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I will be back on Tuesday in a different room in uh, Vancouver, Washington. And uh, I, get, I got some really cool, exciting stuff I want to tell you guys coming up. I can't yet. It's not public news. I can't. I got to wait on it a couple more days before I can tell everybody. But I got a really big change coming in my life. I'm very excited to share with you guys. And... Um, I'll keep you guys tuned. All right, guys. Have a great night. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are done.
Bye.